Welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan, Journey to the Cup edition. I'm Meg, and this is a special episode brought to you by Google Chrome. Google Chrome lets you save all of your passwords securely and use them on your computer and on your phone. So you spend less time trying to remember your password and more time getting things done. All your passwords remembered like magic. There's no place like Chrome. So we are so, so close to the World Cup. We're leaving in a matter of a few days. I mean, you know, like a couple of weeks. But today I am joined by Steph Young and Jeff Reuter because we have now got the U.S. Women's National Team roster in hand. We've had a few days to process it, to think about how this might play out, debate some other options, think about the depth where players might play. And now it's time to actually circle back and have this discussion in a slightly more organized sense we tried outside of our usual Slack channels and Slack debates and on this actual podcast. So Steph, Jeff, let's get into it. Steph and I were actually in France <laughs> when this roster dropped. Um, but first, I want to just start with initial reactions in terms of the news around it, who who we were reacting to. Steph, what was your first thought when you saw this final roster? Uh, my... First thought, honestly, was I'm really happy for Christy Mewis. <laughs> Just like mass hole solidarity. Um, and I knew that her little reaction video, she's probably going to cry. And then I was like, going to have to pretend I needed to step out for a Duncan or something. <laughs> um, my other reaction is that I think this is going to be the year of the youth. Obviously, Sophia Smith is a name where everyone's like, Oh, okay. Golden boot, knock on something. But you've got Trinity Rodman on there, Alyssa Thompson on there. These like quirks of fate that result in like, I would love to have Mel Swanson. I'm sure everyone prefers she's not injured, but now with Alyssa Thompson in there, let's see what she can do. Mm -hmm. Jeff, how about you? Uh, along those lines, um, excited to see several players like Alyssa Thompson at this level. Um, there are just some fun inclusions on here, I think, that round out the numbers rather than those kind of like program veterans who are gonna, you know, pull the game on their backs about the scruff of their neck or whatever to mix metaphors. Like it, it's a little bit more youthful along those lines, which I like. I do miss Mallory Swanson a lot. Um, but I also see a roster with a lot of imbalance, a lot of areas that are unnecessarily padded relative to what you expect from a 23-player roster and some other areas that are incredibly thin uh, that you would very much expect to have a little bit more stability and depth. So I'm sure we'll talk about those more specifically, but it is a little bit unbalanced just in terms of that balance factor. Um, mm -hmm. But otherwise, I mean, strong roster, just in general. I mean, like it's... it. <laughs> It's really hard to look at a U.S. Women's National Team roster and not be like, that's a strong roster, right? But like, it, it should probably just be said and gotten out of the way ahead of time that, yes, there is a lot of talent on this roster. Right. I mean, I, I know we had reported on Friday uh, before we left for France that Becky Sauerbrunn would not be hurt. So I feel like that processing happened. I mean, we're going to talk about Becky more throughout the course of this podcast because that is one of the biggest things. But, I mean, I remember sending names over to you and... Tierna Davidson not being in this pool to me was one of the first thoughts that I had just kind of thinking, okay, with Becky out, <laughs> yeah. right. We kind of expect certain things to happen and Tierna not making this roster was a big thing. And then, yes, I think I definitely agree in terms of, you know, knowing Sophia Smith um, for me, the other one that I think we're going to talk a lot about today is Naomi Gurma and mm. what she is going to 
you know, basically be asked of <laughs> over the course of this tournament. So, yeah, I, I think there were a few surprises relative to, you know, I think about the Olympics, right, and the way that that roster got balanced. And, and I think we really kind of knew what we were getting into with that roster. But for this one, injuries really have played a role. So as much as we're going to talk about the 23, I think that we have to start with injuries and the role that they have played on this roster and whether that means that the player is just kind of out for this roster, the fact that they didn't even get a chance to prove themselves to make this roster. I mean, we're talking about Becky Sauerbrunn, Mal Swanson, uh, Samantha, Mew uh, Samantha Mewis, Cap Macario, Kristen Press. Like, I mean, this list just kind of keeps going, keeps going. Tierna Davidson even, I think, to some extent, right? Casey Kruger just making it back in time. You know, there are some impacts. Midge Purse getting a really poorly timed injury and missing out basically on this whole you get the NWCL to prove yourself, right? To, to maybe make this roster. Um, in terms of, you know, Jeff, you're talking about kind of an imbalanced roster. Like where do you see injuries playing the biggest role here? Uh, center back, big time. I, I think that you are running a serious risk if either Cook or Gurma needs to get rotated. We're not even talking about yellow cards, which is a thing that you would, should obviously expect in a tournament to be a factor, right? And our first thought is they'll start seven games. Just yeah. two of them, like no questions asked. Uh, and they could pick up yellows. They could get hurt. They could just have a bad mismatch. Remember, these are things that usually you're able to do with you know four dedicated center backs is, okay, we have a taller forward going against, okay, let's bring in a defender who's a little bit better in the air. Okay, we don't near, necessarily have to worry about that. Maybe we can get our ball players out a little bit better and, and bring in players who are going to help us with possession or breaking lines and these sorts of things. And we can't have these discussions right now. Um, you know, and, and that's not like any disrespect to Emily Sonnet or anything who is very much part of this conversation, but you have three center backs and two of them are pretty preordained to be the starters at this mm -hmm. point. So um, that's huge. That's a, that's a huge area of need. Uh, I think Davidson would probably qualify as my biggest snub if I just had to pick one player. And it is in part because of her ability to break lines. She's better at that long distribution uh, than the three who were brought to the world cup roster, but also just numbers, pure numbers. Um, it's something that's going to be massive. I can see opponent, uh, opposing forwards really trying to bait them into terrible fouls because neither of them have played in a World Cup before. So they might be a little naive. They might be a little bit uh, wanting to prove themselves at the highest level, understandably, and therefore make fouls that a more veteran defender wouldn't make. And that could cause some serious, serious issues for the United States. Steph, what do you think the chances are that we see Juilliards at center back in this tournament? More than 50%? I, uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Less than 100, more than 50. Yeah. So I think that's a, I think a lot will actually depend on um, kind of just how things go, right? You have to adjust on the fly. Like you're, you're changing lanes at 100 miles per hour sometimes in the tournament. Yeah. And sometimes games don't go how you think they will. God forbid someone gets hurt. Right. You know? I mean, but we've seen yellow cards affect this team. I mean, you think about 2015, right? And the way that yellow cards honestly affected the team for the better. <laughs> <laughs> like forced changes to yeah. the lineup and suddenly things happened. Right. So mm -hmm. sometimes it can be kind of a, a blessing in disguise that yellow cards have affected, but I do for center backs. Yes. I mean, the other thing too, and I, you know, we're going to talk about the midfield a lot, but for me, the player that I think is most worrisome for me is Sam Mewis. Like, because I think about what she did in 2019 
for this midfield and as that box to box midfielder. And I just feel like the team has never fully recovered from her absence. Right. Like Macario yet, like I am, I am so firmly on the Macario hype train. And like, <laughs> I think had she been able to make it back, she immediately changes this roster for the better. Yeah. But like, I know we talked a lot and everybody has been talking a lot about Julie Ertz and her potentially making it back. And I think that being almost like a safety blanket, we can all cuddle at this moment in time. Right. And like Julie Ertz is back. We're going to be okay. But right. for me, Sam Mewis not being on this roster feels like that one person that they have never quite figured out like she brought this kind of intangible effect to that midfield and it's never quite been the same jeff yeah i'd second that i think that's going to be her ans role yeah. more or less right but i think that they come at it in different ways i think when i think of sam mewis i think of someone who value off the ball and keeping midfield shape of making a smart run to like serve as a decoy to open someone else up who gets less attention to be able to get a pass in a more dangerous area than she's in kind of using her reputation to her advantage right and I think that with Haran she can do some of that she's been doing some of that work with Leon certainly plays with a lot of talented midfielders that have you know similar kind of esteem and caliber but um a lot more of her impact does come with the ball at her feet. And it's going to be either carrying the ball like a shuttle or a water carrier role sort of thing. It's going to be wanting to make that progressive pass herself, but it's not going to be nearly as much off the ball, at mm -hmm. least from what I've seen in both women's national team games and in the Champions League this past year. Um, where it is a little bit of a concern for me is how do you make up for that? I, I think that's a great point because we've been so fixated on the six, right? And is Andy yeah. Sullivan going to be able to be a World Cup winning starting defensive midfielder has been a question for the last two years that we've had to wrestle with. And like you said, Julie Ertz comes back and everyone's like, okay, as long as she's healthy, we're good. Um, I think you're right. I think that there's going to be a lot of shape. There is going to be a true... There could be issues with who wants to progress the ball a little bit more in that midfield with Haran there instead of Muiz and not having that counterbalance of someone who does the same work. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I think that that midfield, it looks like there's a clear one, two, three, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's the best possible one, two, three for this team tactically. I mean, Jeff, as you describe some of this role, all right, a name we haven't mentioned yet because it's so brand new, Savannah DeMello, like yeah. has not even had the plastic taken off of the, you know right. pre-order shipped early in a row yeah. before it actually <laughs> right right i mean but um, i think i think that's that's the strength of the team right like because one of the other big topics i wanted to hit before we really get into the positional stuff is that the depth of the team has always been its biggest strength i remember like ali krieger in 2019 saying like usa a team usa b team are like in theory the two best teams in the world and that causing the biggest <laughs> shitstorm on the face of the planet that was so, I mean, like not even the biggest one of that tournament, but like it was in, it was in the top three along with 13 zero and hotel yeah. gate in terms of like dumb storylines that went further than they should have. But pretty sure that, it was like the villain origin story for England, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, probably. I think that's fair, but you know, that there is this depth and versatility and the fact that we have players that can play, multiple roles and DeMello is kind of an interesting one in terms of this kind of idea of what what role she might actually play on this team Jeff our, our little expert in terms I of know. 
I know. Good luck with that one. Um, I mean, Steph and I had a good back and forth earlier today. I'm working on a, a depth chart that probably won't come out before this podcast, but basically trying to come up with in each of these 11 roles, who would be called on second, third, fourth, and all of that stuff. And and Steph had some really good points that like DeMello's work rate, the, the kind of unknown and just the tenacity might put her in defensive mid in my eyes. But to Steph, it's like, is that really your best mm-hmm. bet? I mean, like, granted, this is this is assuming Sonnet's playing somewhere along the back line and that Ertz is unable to go and or Sullivan needs a sub, whatever the case is. You're basically looking for one of the two first choice is on a yellow card or something and the other one gets subbed out. Right. But I mean, I don't know. Where where would you say uh, Steph ultimately would be DeMello's best deployment in this roster? I would say she covers some of the same space as Christy Mewis, just literally in terms of geography on the field when we look at her for racing. Um, I think she has like a different skill set. I think she's uh, a bigger defender on the ball. Um, I think she's more of a shuttler than Christy is. But yeah, when I see her, I definitely see her in a more attacking role. Every time Vlacko talks about her, he mentions her ability to like, face people up and take them on 1v1 and solve problems with her dribbling, which suggests to me, all right, you're relying on her to be more of like a a ball moving problem solver, like the ball at her feet, as opposed to like distributing more from out of the back. You know, what does that suggest? Then again, I have not been able to predict many things that Flacco has done, (laughs) which is why I'm not a a coach. I'm a baby. Yeah, <laughs> I like the idea of like total subterfuge and just telling the world you haven't seen her play for the U.S. before. So this is everything she does and just completely leading the world astray so that she can go in and do right. something far better. I would love that. I don't think that's happening, but it would be fun. Never know. That's the kind of stuff I would do. Three, five, one. And she's like a nine. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Target forward. Play the ball to her forehead and it'll be great. All right, let's let's try to go a little bit position by position, even though we've already talked about some of this. But uh, goalkeepers are it's definitely going to be, I think, a topic that we're going to want to dig into because we've got we've got Alyssa Nair. We've got Casey Murphy. We've got Aubrey Kingsbury. So already first, like this was one of the the few kind of roster shakeups in Kingsbury in French out, which I think really is kind of a, a NWL driven decision. French has been kind of in and out of that starting role in Kansas City. Kansas City, obviously, this is a whole separate podcast. Kansas City not <laughs> living up to expectations for this NWL season, but it has played a role. Chicago Red Stars, honestly, are another team where I think there has been some impact in terms of quality and affecting players. Like I, I don't think that we can kind of divorce that bigger context, but that very much impacts Alyssa Nair, who presumably is still the team's starting goalkeeper though. I think there's a conversation there more than we expected. Okay. I was a big Alyssa Nair defender all through 2019. And when the national team players were coming through mix zones and everyone was asking them like, how can you rely? How can you trust this untested? Like she's not hope solo. And everyone was just like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> and then she did fine. Right. She did actually very well. I was like, you know, vindication. <laughs> um, but that was 2019, right? Yeah. And for the same reasons that 80 France just kind of slipped down that order, 
you know, if we're going to be completely fair, people are going to be like, well, Chicago not doing great. Nair may be performing a little better for her club, but Chicago also not doing great, which I think we can agree impacted a little bit, at least Casey Kruger and Tierna Davidson, right? Yeah. Um, and I do think Nair, both for national team and club, is maybe kind of coming down on the back end of her career, but has that experience, right? Has been in the in the thick of things from 2019, and you can't really discount that it's the same reason people were like well bring becky anyway even if she can't play you can't discount that level of expertise keeping people calm and Alyssa Nair, i think is especially someone who's like don't freak out just just be normal you know yeah heart rate hasn't gone above 80 (laughs) (laughs) your entire adult life i um I think that's entirely fair. And I think that your point about like the contradiction of like players who are on the finer margins being hurt by the club, specifically Kruger and Davidson in this one is just so fascinating because those are the defenders who are either trying to contain opponents who would be shooting on Nair or who are letting opponents get their chances off. Right. And so Alyssa's taken a lot of shots, uh, faced a ton of shots. I think Katie Lund was the only other goalkeeper who'd faced more this season so far in the NWSL. Um, And, she's not so when we talk about like underlying numbers and like post shot expected goals basically we're just saying like do you save more than the average goalkeeper right and and she's not (laughs) she's she's saving what you would expect the average goalkeeper to save this season and granted it is a team under fire it is a team that is very unsettled they lost a lot of crucial players um, especially in midfield and forward areas, uh, either just departures or injuries, some some crucial number sixes as well, right? There's so much happening in Chicago. There's too much happening in yes. Chicago. As a Red Stars fan, there's too much happening in Chicago. But um, the, the, the fact is, you have to... Current form has to matter at a certain point. Like, you can say that you are the national team goalkeeper, you are the national team starting center back. These are positions where you'll see a lot of coaches say, like, regardless of how you're doing with your club, you know my system, you know what's coming into this. I know I can count on you. You've performed in big games before. You are going to continue to wear that shirt unless or until someone takes it off your back, basically. And it feels like a a case where you're not considering the best option right now on current form at this one position only this one position, I would argue. And it's a, it could be a gamble. Like there's every chance that Alyssa Nair, the United States goalkeeper is back and you can just for a month, forget about Alyssa Nair, the Chicago goalkeeper that is entirely in play. There's also a chance that that form means that bad habits have had to grow and emerge because of that club under duress scenario that will cause her to be, making the wrong decision with passes, maybe just over committing on a shot one direction where she went otherwise, right? Like it's so difficult to shake six months of bad performance, frankly, you know, and she's been doing better in the last month or two, looking at again, these underlying numbers, but um, I'm worried. I'm worried. I think, yeah, I don't know. The one thing that I think we should caveat here is that a lot of this is assuming she's the number one. And I don't know that that's the correct assumption anymore. Yeah, I mean, all I think the it is, you just mentioned. I think it. I think it is way more up for grabs than it has been. Like, and I think what we have seen is also Vlakovandanovsky specifically giving Casey Murphy at games, right, and reps mm-hmm. in certain situations. Because first of all, I mean, it's already. Uh, I can rant about this until the cows come home. Like. This was the exact problem that this team had under Hope Solo, that backup goalkeepers were not getting experience in crucial moments. So that way, if they were called upon, they were not prepared, right? So we're already ahead of the game on that front. Great. 
But what I think has been really interesting is seeing where Casey Murphy has gotten games and gotten just kind of making sure that she's seeing certain things, right? And I think she is kind of the clear presumptive heir to the number one spot. Aubrey Kingsbury, though, coming into the mix, right? Like, there is, I think, an experience thing there. I think she is very much a leader for the Washington spirit, but she also only has one cap for the U.S. Women's National Team. And it was against Uzbekistan, I want to say, which is, like... That is not preparation for a World Cup in any way, shape, or form. So it is this, I think, big existential question facing this team of, is Alyssa number one? Casey Murphy, I think, makes more sense if the answer is no. But there is a case for Aubrey Kingsbury based purely on performance. But I don't know if that matters in this case. It's it's interesting too because like Murphy got a very good dress rehearsal for this specific scenario in she believes against Japan, where high level opponent, uh, Cook and Gurma were your starting center backs, yep. full ninety minutes for the entire trio, and fared really well. Had some incredibly good saves, um, like necessary vital point blank saves, if I remember right. And yeah, I mean that Japan game was legit. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's closer to testing how she would fare in this setting than a 9-0 win over Uzbekistan in April 2022. <laughs> For example, <laughs> to cherry pick one example. Right, right. So I would feel comfortable personally if Casey Murphy ended up taking the gloves and was the starting goalkeeper for this tournament. But how likely is that to happen, right? I This is, I think, the mystery until the send-off game. Like truly, I like... The, the send-off game is going to reveal a few things. And I guess the question is, how much is Vlaka willing to reveal, right? But also, right. you have to get one game in, I think. And, w- like, I think Wales is going to be a good... T- like, I think you have to get one game in without starting 11, but everybody also knows you're starting 11, and there's no... <laughs> right. There's no hiding it anymore. But, yeah, I mean, I also... I agree. Like, I would feel comfortable with Casey Murphy starting and i think there is a case for it steph if the lineup drops against wales and casey murphy is the goalkeeper that day do you see that as like a sign that she's being like worked in as the starting goalkeeper or do you see that as a let's see what we got and then i'll make a decision regardless how you do do you know what's gonna happen he's gonna give a half each to nair oh. <laughs> you're right to get them warm but the thing is i think we got a little gift in group right which i keep having to preface this with like absolutely no disrespect to vietnam very aware of like the the socioeconomic forces that have led to being a much younger team from a smaller country with less experience and so this is not about like oh they're like a not a great opponent i think they're a great opponent everybody rises wants to rise to the occasion in the world cup that being said that's the opening game and of course, opening game matters. You're setting tempo, you're setting vibe. You want your starters in important games to have the confidence. And so, you know, does that, I think that we can at least wait until that game. Send off game, yes, it's a clue. But I really think they're going to look at that Vietnam game as like, a okay, we can kind of ease the goldfish bag into the tank and like let it get used to the other fish a little bit. It's still a World Cup game. But, you know, as opening World Cup games go, they're not making you, like, face Germany right away or something. 
Right. right. Or the Netherlands, right? Like, Nether- it is, I, I don't know, it is a very interesting group. Uh, Vietnam also holding Germany to a 2-1 result, I think, is mm-hmm. is definitely, See? like... See, that's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Like, don't sleep on them. Right. So I think there is a sense of this is this is not going to be the group stage of 2019, right? Like this is trickier than originally anticipated. And they're, the goal is absolutely getting out of group, number one. So I think the rotation game will be the final game. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, all right. So let's, let's move up and talk about this from goalkeepers it's awesome i I know like i think you know in terms of center backs we we know right yeah and to jeff's point we are hoping and praying that naomi germa and alana cook can start and play full 90s in seven straight games i don't like i mean i guess maybe six games with a little break in there um but now let's talk about options because obviously sonnet is in the mix maybe to some extent Kelly O'Hara could also step into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie Arts really is the other big name here. Um, this, yeah. This, if you I, we're all a, <laughs> if you revert back to a position you last played with your maiden name, do you have to wear your maiden name on the back of your jersey and just <laughs> be like Johnston's at center back and just pretend it isn't a twenty fourth player? Like it, it's it's a mess. <laughs> I think that depth chart's a mess. I, I think. Credit to Kelly O'Hara for playing her way onto this roster this season, coming off of uh, what could have been like an international career ending injury, right? Like it just isn't a great track record of players over 30 coming back from hip injuries like she did. So like that's, that is commendable. The way that she's come back this season and playing with Gotham this year has been a little bit more like you would expect for a center back. And so a little bit better in the air, better at winning those duels, um, granted playing against shorter opponents on the wing usually, but all the same, still doing quite well. And, um, you know, better one-on-one defending I've seen this season too. So could, <laughs> could slot in, but I would like to think we're talking about a fifth option at that point. Um, yeah, it's thin. It's really thin. Do you think that she's the vibes player, at least on the back line? Because yeah. we were Kelly? talking about just bringing Becky for vibes. Kelly is the vibes player, which can also perform but is also heavily like we've talked about this a lot about which of these players would like punch a family member to win a game. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think you said it best in a, an article from last year of like, you need someone to be mean on this team. And that has always (laughs) been a role that Kelly has played really well. Um, But I think, especially with, like, listen, I, I think Naomi Gurma has the potential to have like a complete crazy performance breakout. Like, you know, she had her breakout NWSL season. This could be her international breakout. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think Naomi Gurma or Alana Cook is about to like get in a bar fight with someone the same <laughs> way that I think Kelly O'Hara could potentially get in a bar fight with someone. And yeah. that to me is kind of the even but like even Becky Sauerbrunn, right? Like who is literally mm-hmm. the nicest human being on the world. Like when you turn in that competitive edge, Becky can be mean in a very specific way that your like lead anchor center back needs. Um, and that I think, yes, is where Kelly is kind of that vibes. <laughs> yeah. Becky would still be the like stand up and just calmly say, why don't you take a seat? 
and the bar fight scenario. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just be like, oh, but we're not. She would still fight. get involved, probably. Yeah, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. So there is, I, and I, let's let's bring in now the outside backs because it yeah. is. Crystal Dunn could have her own podcasts, obviously, um, in terms of what is her best position. But I think we can safely assume Crystal Dunn and Emily Fox are going to be starting outside backs. And then we've got Emily Sonnet in the mix in any number of options as well. And Sofia Huerta rounding out this group. Um, outside backs, I think there's maybe a little bit more. Confidence, but it is it is just an interesting pool of seven total. Yeah, and I think it's a question of like who do you use where, and it's a question that I think a lot of people wouldn't even want to ask because they feel like they know the answer, and it's a completely different answer than the one that Flotco has for the same question on the same test. Um, you're you're going to have a left back for a club playing right back. You're going to have a central midfielder playing left back, um, most likely. And I, I don't know if that's what I would do, but I, I think that the idea is to have that inverted options that you're playing a ball more in that half space between the central third and the wide third, which is where the inverted wingers like Mal Swanson, Sophia Smith playing on the left are going to want to run onto rather than having someone wide who's trying to cross the ball into the striker, right? Like, so the idea is keep it on the ground, keep it in that channel where your winger is going to want to run into. Um, But I think that limits the potential of both in a lot of ways, I, I don't, I mean, again, like you said with Crystal Dunn, I don't think that this comes close to putting her in her best position. And that's just a shame um, for Emily Fox. I think that she can play on the right pretty well, but she has earned this roster spot for her play at left back. <laughs> and it's something the program has really needed since Klingenberg, really to have like someone who can play on the left, who is a left back, who wants to play left back. Um, and I don't think we're going to see that this tournament. Well, Okay, so I was talking to Emily Fox, and she was talking about how she's adding to her toolkit at her club and how she's, you know, getting more of the ball in certain areas and kind of expanding her repertoire and where she can drift inside or where she wants to push wide. And then you were running up some starting 11s, Jeff, and we were looking at the the left and right back options, but we were also trying to match them up with, because I think your winger really matters, in mm-hmm. this situation, mm-hmm. where do you want to optimize? Are you trying to overload on one side, depending on the opponent? Is there someone you're seeing where you're like, you know, what would be great here if we punched them with Crystal Dunn and Sophia Smith at the same time? That sort of thing, you know? And yeah. so I do think that's going to impact as well how we see that left-right configuration. I want to tell people now, like, I know Vlaco said today at Media Day, like, he's not maybe maybe we'll see crystal dunn somewhere else and i'm like don't let that man <laughs> do that to you again <laughs> okay like lucy with the football right exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah like i i want people to like be realistic about like with respect to crystal dunn being good at that position that's not how this national team has set up in a long time so it's not fair to her the team to suddenly like shuffle things around that way unless maybe they've been practicing in secret or there's an emergency um, and then be like, all right, go out there and dominate. Right. And then who do you move out of that position? If Crystal Dunn is moving into midfield, I think maybe that says something has gone wrong, not with Crystal Dunn, like 
being out of position, but like maybe somebody's injured or something. And so they're willing to take her out of, you know, a really important fullback position that she is also extraordinarily good at. So like, I'm just wanting people, please don't get your hopes up again. This is why I tweeted like, let's all be cautiously optimistic that this is even an option while being completely reasonable because like, I said this in Slack in this group of just, for me, done moving into the midfield happens if there is, like, things have to go wrong for it to happen, right? Several, just, so, several and, things. Right. Like, in an ideal perfect world, we're, like, we're all playing FIFA together. What I autom- I mean, this is, like, my entire reason for playing FIFA is to make Becky Sauerbrunn score U.S. Women's National Team goals. Like, <laughs> we have our ideal world, and then we have what actually happens on the field and what is likely to happen on the field. And I think there is a world where we could potentially see Crystal Dunn in the midfield, but, like, I don't, I honestly don't think we want that because that means things have gone very, very sideways for the U.S. in this tournament. I think there's a way that that would have made sense if one of DeMello or Mewis had been left off the roster for Davidson or Kruger, and so you brought an extra center back instead of sure. a midfielder. Then, yeah, of course, it makes sure. sense. Yes. But you brought numbers in those two, like that dual eight role with the 4-3-3 yeah. base formation. Like, if exactly like you said, a lot let's, of things would have to go wrong. Let, so let's talk about the midfield now, because yeah. I think this is a natural point because Jeff, I know early in you said the balance of this roster is weird yep, and the midfield to me is where it feels most weird, right? Mm-hmm. I would say so. <laughs> I would say so. I think that the, the, you could argue wings are a little bit weird, but I think it is the the midfield. I think you have players who want to occupy the same spaces where it's going to be a one or the other proposition and neither of them are like obvious starters, which makes it kind of tricky to say, okay, what substitution pattern are we instilling? Who are we bringing you in for? And then when are you going to need to be ready to also step on the field? Because right now it seems like a case where if one of, let's say, Mewis or Demello checks in for Lindsey Horan, it's pretty unlikely that the other one will see the field that day. Right. So I I think that you do have some areas where there is, uh, I don't want to say redundancy. It's really hard to get redundancy in a 23 player roster. But if I was going to, I might say this is an area where you could have thinned out the midfield a little bit, had the safety valve option of Crystal Dunn moving up into midfield kind of to cover numbers, or you could have brought, I don't know if any of the wingers would really drop back, but um, had that be your de facto other midfield option right. to bring another center back. And so um, I think that there's going to be someone who doesn't play nearly as many minutes as they would like, or frankly, probably should, but I don't think it's any fault of their own. I think it's just because of how this is all going to configure. We will be right back after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so... In terms of the six, Julie Ertz, right, as we've talked <laughs> about, yeah. our our safety blanket, Andy Sullivan is obviously the other 
player, there's no real surprise here. I do think that there was a legitimate shout for Sam Coffey in terms of making this roster, right? But I think as soon as Julie Ertz also became a legitimate viable option, that was one of the most inevitable things that could ever happen on this roster. But I think there's also, I mean, like when, when we are, well, when I'm in New Zealand, you're in Australia, who are you expecting to play the six in the first game? Do you think it's Ertz or do you think it's Sullivan? I think we just talked about, right, like, what are they using that first game for as a as a tone setter? Is there somebody on that roster who needs some confidence? Maybe. And between Ertz and Sullivan, that's actually kind of a pretty good question because Julie has obviously been out for a while. Who knows if she, they're even going to be able to play her right away? I mean, yeah, she's getting minutes for Angel City, but, like, is she World Cup 90-minute back-to-back fit? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure, like, if someone told her to do it or else, like... I don't know, uh, the opponent team will invade the United States, then she would like grit her teeth and do it. But like between those two, yeah, it's actually a pretty good question of like, which one of them could benefit more from having not the most high tempo game, but still having to be on. You could argue Ertz needs it more just purely from a work into it but you could also argue that's a far riskier proposition because one if it doesn't go well now what and and i don't just mean injury re-aggravation which is quite a doesn't go well scenario or a, a yellow card in the first game of the group stage and you still have to play the netherlands like that's fine you can play her in the second game if she picks up a yellow that's fine she just doesn't play against portugal it is what it is right but it's it's more of like what if it doesn't go well at all <laughs> and what if she's like overrun what if she isn't able to do the Juilliards thing at the world cup that we're all used to seeing that we all expect her to do that she expects herself to do right and what if she's unable to do that role and what if it gets exposed uh, against a tricky opponent that she is not the same player which means that in game two holland is able to kind of target her and further exploit that and then you go into the knockouts and and now what i'm not saying it's like a mentality shatterer she's a veteran she would be able to overcome it but at the same point it radically changes the vibe it changes the the morale it changes probably internally there would be some players not just andy sullivan and emily sonnet but like other players who would say like i would do a better job in that role and so you do have a chance for some disconcerting opinions from teammates of theirs as well as who should be playing so like it is a gamble. It could be a gamble. It also could be a mood point and, and Julie Ertz steps in and she's able to do the Julie Ertz thing for seven games and no one asks questions. So, or six. So like, I, yeah, I, it's an interesting one to me. It's an interesting one. I, I'm not completely confident based off of what we've seen with Angel City. I think that some of it is, it's not just working back into 90 minutes fitness, but it's also working into, um, uh, you just need to play. You need yeah. to recover. You need to play. You have a World Cup spot on the line, and we're going to have you play regardless of how your game is going. I, right? I mean, that's also, I think, in the April friendlies, watching Julie Ertz make her come back in person, the timing was, I mean, part of it is just like, she hasn't been playing in a while, right? So like timing on tackles, which is very, very important for a defensive midfielder, was just like, it just wasn't quite there. I mean, obviously, like the the pure talent is still there. But I think there is that kind of disconnect of like what I think I'm capable of doing and versus what I'm actually capable of doing. And that's not a slight on Julie Arts in the slightest. That's just like literally a physical challenge of returning to the game after a long time. I'll drop some psychic damage on you because this has happened. Christy Mewis DM. 
True. It's true. He's done it to mm. us before. I know it's true. I mean, like, and this is also where Sonnet comes into play as well, right? Of like, you do have other options in this spot beyond just the kind of obvious A B, right? And right yeah. at the moment, it's like it's honestly kind of like a tied for A, right? Like we just don't. This is one where I'm like, I want to wait and see what happens in the send off game because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, it. Christy Mewis, though. <laughs> like, let's talk about let's talk about our our box to box options. Obviously, you know, we we were again chatting earlier today and kind of talking about how Haran is arguably the most important player on this roster, and in a way where it looks like the most unattractive game of football <laughs> on the face <laughs> of the planet. Right. Um, like, what is really funny to me is like watching a U.S. Women's National Team game in person and thinking Haran is kind of low-key having a terrible game and then going back and watching it, I'm like, oh, no, she was the most important person on the field. But it feels awful. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not when when you, I don't know. I mean, like you, you mentioned Macario earlier. And it's like you want to imagine that all U.S. number eights are going to play like that and just have that sort of like wizardry and get out of your seat sort of moments and you don't always get those with Haran but I think that like regarding Mewis that's kind of the role that she'll be really good to step in and fill when needed um and it will be needed absolutely throughout the tournament like an incredible last three years for her uh starting with 2020 right just kind of a complete career reinvention after injuries and hardships and club moves and club moves and club moves like really came on strong this cycle, um, not just here to make sure that there is a Mewis on the roster <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I just don't. Yeah. Haran does something just at a different level and a different style of play that has become vital to how Vlatko wants to play. And I think it is also simultaneously at the heart of what a lot of fans don't like about how Vlatko plays um or has his team play rather uh midfield's an interesting one i don't know i've I've got a lot of just random sparse thoughts about the midfield since this roster has come out and and none of them are quite flowing <laughs> like yeah. it's not like this goes to this 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 there isn't a lot of synergy with some of these little decisions or if you're going to get this player in their best spot they should go there right like some of these discussions are a little more disjointed maybe. yeah i mean with christy mewis i think you know, I'm pretty sure Vlaco said this again today at um, Media Day is just they expect her to be the, the strongest 15 minute player on the field. Right. Like she is coming in as a sub and trying to close out games wherever they end up putting her again. Like there are options for Christy. Generally, her strength is 1000 percent attacking <laughs> column. Right. But there is a chance of, you know, and this is a team that does sometimes play. I mean, looking at formational data like yes the graphic well not even the graphic the graphic just has a list of names but like in theory we think of this lineup as a 4-3-3 but what usually ends up happening is a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-1 and so you could potentially have christy almost acting as that double pivot right like sliding Mm -hmm. back a little bit and just having the 10 slot four so we're saying like we're saying box to box as a midfielder, but there is kind of I think a little bit of wiggle room. Um, moving up the field a little bit too, Roosevelt. 
another giant. <laughs> Just the pain pains. I we can talk about Ashley Sanchez. I think her role is extremely clear on this team, though. Right at the moment, like there's almost nothing to talk about Ashley Sanchez because we know exactly what's what is happening with her. The giant question right at the moment is Rose Lavelle going to be ready for the World Cup? Steph, would you like to offer another pain side? Uh, I don't know. I that's another one. I think Vietnam is going to tell us more about how many minutes she gets and what state she's in. You don't want people going into important games cold. She offers things that other players, even if they're roughly equivalent positionally, they simply can't do mm-hmm. the same as her or as well as her. They can't, they're not as creative as her. Um, I look to Ashley Sanchez to kind of be that person who could unzip a defense, but she hasn't been able to do it consistently. Um, and she's, I don't know, can she do it consistently 90 minutes back to back World Cup? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the the other part of that is like I think Sanchez would be a little quicker to just say like mm, I don't like what this first thought pass is gonna be, so I'm just gonna shoot. Yes, Ashley Sanchez is a big like let me take this shot, just kind in of case. player. Which right. like if it works, you're a genius, and if it doesn't, you've probably created a turnover situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've you've ended a possession, and yes. and so I think without once. Mal got hurt against Ireland and it was clear that Macario wasn't going to be able to return in time. Like Rose Lavelle's like importance to breaking lines and getting into the final third went from like S tier to, we just invented new tiers. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's, there's a lot of importance, especially against a low block, especially against these opponents that you the U.S. perceived to be your biggest rivals for the title. Like, that is the game you need Rose Lavelle to be at her Rose Lavelleiest, And that game isn't going to come in the group stage. So I think, like, we're, we're talking about, like, I completely agree with Steph that, like, Wales will be kind of a dosing. Um, Vietnam will be a very important kind of gauge of where players are. But I think that for Rose in particular, you need to use all three group stage games to be doing that sort of work to bring her back in. She hasn't played since the first weekend of April. She hasn't played more than, I mean, and that was a full 90 shift, but then hasn't played since. So that's a long time. (laughs) We're coming up on July. Although I will say, I mean, yes, I do. I mentally sometimes make the reference of Rose Brittlebones Lavelle. <laughs> sure. But like also in terms of a player that I trust to be dumped into a tournament and immediately just kind of find their footing. I would say Rose yes. is really high at the top of that list. Like that to me is one where I'm like, you know what, honestly, it's not ready to go until like the knockout stages. I'm like, you just dump her. Like uh, the, just go. Do its best. Yeah. Just go and, and see what happens. Right. Like I, I'm not worried about her adjustment to coming back into games, but for it's like fitness, right? Like that's that's what it is. That's where the concern is. But also, as soon as you can get Rose Lavelle on the field, like I'm just like, okay, it's time. Like yeah. she automatically makes this team better. And I, yes, we have invented new tiers for at this point. <laughs> and I think it's necessary. Like 
Sanchez can do that, but like we talked about, not always going to have the patience for that or not the consistency of being able to do that regardless of an opponent. Like we get back to DeMello, the the big wild card on this roster and the one-on-one ability. Um, During, after the roster came out, that was actually a very specific thing that Flacco had said is that she can do a lot of the things that Rose can do. And like, we haven't necessarily gotten to see that, but it's nice to think that he might be right. And it would be a huge advantage for the U.S. if you could have another player who wants to keep the ball at her feet longer to set that up. Um, So it could be really important, really big tournament for Savannah. But um, yeah, there, there isn't really anyone else who can quite do create chances, make magic out of almost nothing in a really scrappy game, quite like Lavelle can. Yeah. All right, let's let's move on to our final group, six forwards. Um, I would argue this is the spot where we had the least surprises with Morgan, Rapino again, um, injury factor there, though. Uh, Trinity Rodman, Sophia Smith, Alyssa Thompson, and Lynn Williams. Um, now I think the biggest question is, you know, and this has been the one that they've been thinking about since April with Mallory Swanson out. What happens next, Jeff? I mean, you've written about this a bunch. Um, where are you at as of as of late June, heading into this question? I'm I'm so ready for Lynn Williams World Cup starting right winger. I'm <laughs> so ready for it. I want it. <laughs> I really do. Um, I think that not just because there are more goals to be had if Mallory Swanson isn't on the field. I think that Swanson being out of the roster helps Sophia Smith have a more clear path to this is how I'm going to make my mark in this tournament by playing on the left. It's where she liked, she prefers it's a pretty 50 50 split between the left wing and the right wing where she collects the ball. If she drifts wide for Portland, but it's a little skews more to the left. So like get her in a slightly more familiar area, let her set up her dribbles and all that stuff and happy days. Um, So, so I think that that spacing works out better for her than if she's on the right, you could go with Trinity Rodman on the right and have a great time as well. I think that you could have a lot of verve. You could have some, um, some of the similar kind of pressing qualities that Lynn brings, but I, I don't think anyone quite has it in the pool to quite the same ability of Lynn Williams. And she's also scoring goals now. Just Yeah, I think I think Lynn feels like a lock for starting 11 at this point, Steph. It was breaking that arm, that arm injury. That's when she <laughs> she took off. Lynn looks fantastic. I think we all have agreed, like, okay, so a couple of positional quibbles aside, this is the group where you have the least amount of worry just based mm. on the form and this group, and these people. I think Sophia Smith in particular is the player who you have to have her on the field at all costs, right? And then a lot of your decisions cascade out from there to maybe even to your midfield question. Okay, Jeff, you're describing like where Sophia moves on the field. She tends to drift a little more left. Who do we think in that midfield position underneath her is going to facilitate, you know, more Sophia? Who has, who can progress the ball better to put it in areas where Sophia Smith's good at being, although she's kind of good at being in like all areas. (laughs) Right. A little bit. I mean, that's that's the gift though, right? Like Sophia Smith is kind of the gift of this roster that, as long as she is somewhere up top, it's good. You it have some kind matter. of a shot. Yes, some it kind of chance. It does not matter. Where, like, she can play centrally. She can play on the left. She can play on the right. Like, that is the gift of this forward line. And I think that we'll also see, I mean, the, the team has always kind of done this anyway, but, like, there will be movement between the forward line and seeing, like, okay, if we shift Sophia slightly, is there a channel there for her? And that, 
if you have that starting lineup of Smith, Morgan, Williams, like you're getting the defensive pressure from Williams. There's just, I think there's a lot to like about that as a, as a starting three. And like Alex has shown more tendency to drift wide now that she plays club soccer regularly, which is nice to see, by the way, Um, just purely from like a data analysis point, it helps a lot. Um, But she has been drifting left a lot more often with San Diego. And so that is wonderful if you're Sophia Smith, because then you can just play as center forward anyway. Right. And it's uh, swim right back. It's um, I, I think that, Smith's form, Williams scoring form that ultimately had a lot to do with Ashley Hatch being left off the roster. Another player who I don't think we really mentioned off the top much as being a snub, but you know, had been throughout the cycle, kind of Alex Morgan's backup. Direct backup. Yep. Right. Like just the like for like switch you can bring in. You have someone who's going to want to lead the line. You have someone who's going to be trying to score in the box and not dribbling into the box to take a shot or anything of that sort. So, um, I would imagine that Smith will log some minutes centrally. You could probably see Williams play, you know, as a center forward as well if needed. Um, but yeah, I think that's the other area. Much less, I'm much less worried about center forward than I am about center back at this point in terms of depth. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's another area where you'd look and say, huh, Hatch would have made sense on this roster, right? Like I'm not, I, I don't have a name ready for you of this is who I would have dropped because I think that like- I think if, I mean- I feel like Megan Rapinoe is always going to be on this roster, right? Like I know that there's yeah. been a lot of debate, but again, like from a leadership point of view, especially now with Becky, like you need Megan Rapinoe on the roster. Completely agree. Yeah. Um, but there is kind of the sense of what role is she going to play on the field? But I mean, she had already shifted into this like for like replacement with Swanson. I think you very much need her for penalty kicks, right? Like there, there yeah. are many, many reasons to bring Rapinoe, but I think in terms of, yeah, like it's really hard to figure out, okay, where would Ashley Hatch have fit on this roster the way that played out? And that, maybe it's Alyssa Thompson, but I think that there is greater value in bringing options on the wings, knowing the versatility of Smith, of Williams, to be able to shift centrally, where Ashley Hatch, despite her performance with Washington and with the national team, to me always felt like such a long shot for this roster because of that kind of versatility of other players. The only name in that list I see who could possibly get bumped is Alyssa Thompson. And it's only because she is baby. (laughs) Yeah. And we've seen that Vlaco has spoken repeatedly and shown repeatedly that he really values his knowables and he knows what Ashley Hatch does. And I think it's a little bit of an indictment of her abilities, not an indictment, but a, a clear eyed assessment of her abilities that, she can do some things. Alyssa Thompson can do more things, even with the limited data that we have. And the things that Ashley Hatch does, I don't know that she executes them at that S tier enough to be worth saying, okay, we'll bring you up. And you're going to kind of do like some specific stuff, but it doesn't have the same versatility that you get out of Alyssa Thompson. In her first cap, like already, I'm pretty sure we saw her doing some pretty versatile movement between left and right. Like on a, on a moment's notice, she and Sophia Smith could kind of like, you know, go where they needed to go. And that's not really what you get with hatch. So yeah, Yeah. I, it's like a, I think it's, it's kind of a, like with apologies to Ashley hatch, very nice person. And a good play. It's not like she's a bad player, right? No, she's very much a hundred percent in the conversation for this roster. 
But when you are making the decision to to bring six forwards, right? Because you're bringing an extra midfielder, right? Like, yeah, there's just, there's, it, there's someone who's going to get dropped. And this is something where, for me, coming off of covering the Men's World Cup this last winter, you really see the difference in a 26-player roster and a 23-player roster. Because right. when you have those extra three players, you can bring more of those kind of specialists, players who, like, they're only going to be able to fill one role. But I'm really confident in having that one player for that one role. Right. And so like with the extra three players, you probably would have seen, let's say one of Davidson or Kruger, you would have probably seen Hatch. And I think that would have opened the door back up for Becky Sauerbrunn for that whole, like bring her for vibes for locker room and for dependability. And Hey, if she's ready to come in off the bench for 20 minutes in the knockouts, even better. Right. Like I think all of that would have been in play, but I think that Ashley Hatch would have been, pretty clearly on the roster at that point if it had been grown by if she's not one of the alternates i would be shocked i mean also i find it fascinatingly strange that we're not getting alternate names but um yes i think you know there's probably a couple that we if sam coffee also isn't an alternate i feel like i would be very surprised um yeah i agree Casey Kruger too, you know, like I, it, it does kind of, it feels natural, right? Like the, the people we're kind of most surprised by are natural picks for potential alternates, but we just literally don't know because why would we be given information that might be helpful? Um, all right. I, we've gone through the whole roster at this point. Um, I want to talk about the vibe of this team um, in terms of, you know, there's been the, the the endless narrative around this team right at the moment is the transition between mm-hmm. the vets and the kids. And I want to talk about what, how fair it is to have expectations for this team to three-peat. Um, so wherever we would like to start, whether it is the <laughs> stuff you're shaking your head, why are you shaking your head? Let's find out. I mean, you, you said three-peat, so it's already over. They're yeah. not going to do it. You have to like... <laughs> That's just the rules of magic, which is real. Um, I mean, it's vibes, right? It's the vibes portion of the evening. And the vibes, I mean, like Jeff said, the vibes are like, okay, I think they're pretty good in a lot of areas, but there are little spots here and there where I'm like, um, you know, we could have tweaked this playlist, right? Yeah. Uh, and, so the songs and then, aren't quite flowing in the same way right, that like the last right, mixtapes have. Right. Right. Yeah. But like at the same time, we've seen once people get into tournament mode, things can change. Right. Boy, things can change. Like you mm. don't know who rises to the occasion. Sometimes people surprise you either in good ways or in bad ways. But yeah, I mm, let's see what the send-off game has. And even with the send-off game, I'm like, I'm still not gonna be making any kind of concrete whatever. Yeah, I, I should have looked this number up to see how many like holdovers there were from 2015 to 2019. But when you have nine of the 23 with previous experience, like it is the majority of the team has not won a World Cup, right? So like it, it, it does a disservice to how the roster came together to be like, this is the team that won in 2019. And then a couple of them also won in 2015, right? Um, it's also incredibly relevant and necessary to talk about the competition and the field and like how many teams are in a much better position to compete to win a world cup than they would have been four years ago. Um, so yeah, it, it's, um, I, I think it makes sense. There isn't that same sort of us versus the world feel 
this year that there was four years ago that I remember perceiving anyway, four years ago. Um, I don't think that there's that same, like, yeah, I know we've used tears a few different times here, but it's not like the same, like, okay, it's, it's, it's everyone's looking up at the United right. States at this point. I, I, that's not true in this tournament. I don't think so. I, I think it would be, um, very disrespectful to a lot of other national teams to not say that there is level footing for three, four, five U.S. I, among them. I, I feel like there's four to five teams with a really good, like any anyone that reaches the semifinals, I feel like is going to have a legitimate shot at winning this so, tournament. But like, I think there are eight to 10 teams that you could say they could win the World Cup and I'd be like, yeah, they could win yeah. the World Cup, mm-hmm. right? Like, sure, it, it makes perfect sense to me that they have yeah. at least a legitimate shout at winning this World Cup. U.S. is absolutely amongst them. How there many is- others outside of Europe? I mean, I think Brazil and Australia could at least be in that combo. Japan, kind of like dark horse. If if, yeah. if the the matchup yeah. goes right, I think if like if you said yeah. Australia, like if, if we're talking in a few, if you said Australia wins the twenty twenty three World Cup, I'm like it is within the realm of possibility. Yeah. Where I feel like sure, that makes as much sense as anything. Else. Not maybe like as much sense as right. Spain, like it, or, it like, wouldn't. But, it wouldn't take a magical lightning bolt hitting no. Sam Kerr. No, it would like, take like Sam a, already would be. A couple of lucky bounces or like one yeah. injury at the wrong time. Like right. somebody didn't have their Red Bull before a game. The one of those de facto, like this could be a final level quarterfinals where one yeah. of the front runners is eliminated early because of how the yeah. checks out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It's World Cup season, right? So I think we're, like the podcast, I'm kind of like doing the rounds. We're all doing the rounds. And then it's some of it tends to be people who aren't like deep in right. women's soccer and so the one question that keeps getting asked is like what is the gap between the u.s and the rest of the world i'm like i think that question has been over for several years now yeah there's yeah. no more gap yeah which is good yeah. it's great good. it's fantastic it's yeah. vastly Let's preferable <laughs> it's vastly preferable but i do that i i mean i the thing that i always struggle with is that the expect like yeah the players should absolutely expect to win right like that is their entire that's how their brain works great right. should the rest of us feasibly like i mean not even expect is even the wrong like just demand slash like that is it is Anything a fact less that than the winning's US will, a failure exactly yeah. like yeah there is no universe in which that is a productive way of thinking anymore right. for the u.s women's national team and the fact that we have not gotten past that so far like maybe this is the tournament where that dies Right. Because also the U.S. has never finished lower than third in a tournament. And this is one where I'm like, "Mm, that's on the table. That's on the table. Like, yes, they can finish first. They could finish second. They can finish third. They could go out. God only knows when too. right. Like it's 2016 Olympics kind of all over again. Um, And that a better stakes and better storylines. But B, I really think. For the U.S. Women's National Team, it would be extremely, extremely productive if we could get past that anything that is not winning is terrible. The world is ending. Whatever. Like, yeah, it's 2023. We can move past it. I think it would help with people's perception of like quality of NWSL, quality of U.S. Women's National Team, quality of other tournaments that they're entered in moving forward. Um but no, I completely agree. There are like five, six, seven teams where I'm like, it's almost a coin flip, depending on the lineup, depending on just form, momentum. We could have some wild weather. 
right? Yeah. Like you never, <laughs> right, if it's right. a rainy, windy game in Wellington. That is going to favor teams that keep it on the ball a lot, or keep it on the ground a lot more, right? Like that's yeah. kind of Spain weather. I don't know. I yeah. I think that there's um there's there's a lot of national teams. I've I've gotten the what's the gap question from a radio host as well um, in a major American radio market, <laughs> which is to say that I think that there are still a lot of fans who will be watching this tournament casually who will be very confused if say the second group stage ends one one right against Holland. And they're just like, Oh, does this mean like, I think you're going to have like the, the shout shows on TV networks in the morning doing the whole, like, is it <laughs> did the U S women's national team go woke and go broke or something? Right. Like, yeah, I, I think, think that's the Olympics all over again with that. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Like, like Stephen A Smith out here, like the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, come on, man. I can yeah. picture it so vividly. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's possible. But I think that that's, good um what would you say are like real more realistic expectations like is it simply like make it to the semi-final be able to say that you're contending for one of the top three places no matter what obviously at that point um and then that to me at least feels like a sane goal yeah yeah not winning like winning is not a sane goal to me i if the expectations were simply like you have to reach the semifinals that to me feels reasonable as the number one team in the world still ranked, mm -hmm. but also where the state of the game is. I, don't know. I mean, right out of the box, right? If we win group E, we play second place from group G and that could be Italy, really? it could be Argentina. I mean, actually it could be any single one of these countries in group G, Sweden, South group. Africa, Italy, Argentina, fun right? Group. Which is kind of like a testament to the overall field, right? But then like, Every, I feel like every everything we plotted like for the U.S. to get to the final along the way, there was some kind of game where you were just like, remember USA Spain? <laughs> and like, I don't know. That, that to me was the game of the 2019 tournament by a right. lot. Like USA Spain was the game where it, it was like the sliding doors moment of the tournament. Yeah. Strong games thereafter, but yeah, that yeah, one. I mean, and not to say like the other game, but like that was right, the only I, game where I was just like, I don't know where right. this is gonna go. Yeah, but let's 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 I like this, I like this game of it because we do at least have that part of the bracket figured out for like the, the top part. So like let's say then you get Italy. I don't know who's finished who's finishing yeah, second in G I, at this point. Let's Italy let's say Italy. Be, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Sure, whatever. Let's say that they yeah. get past the second best team in that. And so then you have the winner of Group A versus the runner-up of Group C. So you're looking at Norway, probably. Um, or, Could be Japan, Spain. Or Japan, yeah. Spain, right? Like, hard games. <laughs> yeah, hard there's, games no, there's no easy... I mean, and this is, yeah. this is the thing. Like, there's no easy path. There's no easy right. path to winning a World Cup. And there shouldn't be, mm -hmm. again. But... Do you think that there's I, a, like, are we discounting the, the chance of the U.S. finishing second in their group? I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility. I'm mostly hoping it doesn't happen because I don't want to deal with the travel issues. I don't want it. Liz, I'm going to be stateside. And the difference in kickoff times for if the U.S. finishes first <laughs> and second is truly one of those, oh, I get to sleep a normal schedule one night to a, I guess I wake up at two now. So I'm, yeah, I am hoping they finish first selfishly, but 
um, yes, it's uh, I think it's possible. I don't know. It is. It's it's certainly possible. I mean, it, again, like I think a lot is really hinging on that second group stage game against the Netherlands in Wellington. All right, let's. We've we've been going for a while, so let's. We we all have too much work to do for the rest of this week. Uh, any closing thoughts, Jeff? How about you go first? Um, I think it's going to be a a really good test for a lot of young players. I think it's there. There are some decisions about the roster again that I I wouldn't have made the same decision, but I, I think that most of them are still easy to defend from like a project the tournament standpoint. Um semi-final or further i think making the final is like a, a very ambitious realistic mix of a goal here um it wouldn't surprise me if they aren't able to win a third it wouldn't surprise me if they did so i think overall this, this roster does set them up well in most areas for a tournament of this kind i just i i have i have serious questions about center back that's fair that's it. steph I would love it if the U.S. won a third in a row. They're starting to really cram those stars in. <laughs> press, right? like, oh. When you run out of room on the sign and you, the letters get smaller and smaller. Right, at the end. Chevrons down the sleeve now. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like one star equals five. I don't know. Right, but right. if they don't win, but we see this as the beginning of the like resurgence or the, the surge of like the next generation the Sophia Smith generation, the Trinity Robbins, and then eventually bringing in like, sure, DeMello, Jalen Howell, you know, all these other kids yeah, or like Sam Coffey, yeah. Sam yeah. Coffey, Naomi Guillermo dominance. Like, I don't want to curse her with like inheriting Becky Sauerbrunn's mantle, but kind of already happening. Right. That would be fine. And then like it leads into an Olympics where maybe they can bring in even more kids and give them a, a, a tournament under slightly less frantic conditions just because yeah. it's the Olympics Macario and then you, comes back, yeah. Macario's back for the Olympics. Who knows? It could, you have to, I don't know. I always come back to like, it, you have to let go of desire if you don't want to suffer. <laughs> that is unfortunately the truth. <laughs> it's going to be, if I could name that episode this, <laughs> I would. But truly. <laughs> I, love I, I I think if people were just more into like the being in the present flow state in a state of acceptance, they could avoid a lot of anxiety at like 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. I I've mostly, yeah, I think we've, we've kind of said it all on the show, but it, it is certainly within the realm of possibility that the U S wins. It is certainly within the realm of possibility that they do not. And having a realistic view of that to me is kind of the most important part. And I feel like there's probably going to be fans of other countries listening to this podcast being like, Oh, they're quibbling and they're, they're already trying to like tamp down the expectations." Your usage like, of the word quibbling instantly hints what fan base you think it might be. <laughs> I don't know. Cause we like the Americans, they all be like, crying about something on the other. We need all these stars. It would be okay. cool though. If this tournament gives the U S like a great rival though, like if it's a, one of the repeats yeah, from the I knockout mean, path of 2019 and you well, get to face Spain, England, France. I mean, we have seen such good narratives come out of USA, Norway, USA, Brazil, you know, USA, England, to some extent, not really. But, like, I mean, you think about early, early USA, Japan, USA, China, right? Like, we yeah. we have had really 
good. Yeah, Sweden. I think Sweden is honestly the closest thing, like in a slightly more annoying fashion, I think, yeah. than like, but like USA Norway, I mean, the US hated that team, like hated that team, right? And it would be fun, I think, to get back to some of that and have, you know, at least, I don't want to say like banter because also I think banter has become tremendously annoying online, but yep. <laughs> having a legit rival, I think would be fun again, for sure. This is rife with possibility. We just went through so much. We're trying to keep track of like multiple timelines. It's very much everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry for doing the classic Midwest goodbye thing where you were really trying to make your way out the door. And I was like, <laughs> ah, blah, blah. so thank you. for. <laughs> all, right. all right. Let's, let's end it there. We will be back throughout the entire world cup. We also have more preview shows incoming, but I guess we'll, We'll find out in like less than two months now who's winning. Yeah, time, time catches us all. This has been Full Time with Meg Linehan, Journey to the Cup edition, a special episode brought to you by Google Chrome. Google Chrome lets you securely save your payment info so you can check out quickly and conveniently. There's no place like Chrome. Chrome.